Okay, good morning everyone. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Marin County Board of Supervisors meeting of Tuesday, October 17th, 2023. And I'm going to ask our county clerk to take the roll and tell everyone how they can participate remotely. Supervisor Rice. Here. Supervisor Lucan. Here. Supervisor Sackett. Here. Supervisor Radoni. Here. Supervisor Moulton Peters. Here. For joining us today on Zoom and would like to participate, please use the raise hand icon located on your screen. If you are participating by landline, please press star nine to raise your hand. When it's your turn to speak, your name will be called and you'll be asked to unmute your device. If you are participating by landline, you will hear that you are unmuted. That concludes the instructions and I will pass the meeting back to President Moulton Peters. Okay, great, thank you very much. Um, I just want to take a moment again to remind everyone about uh, the expectation for civil discourse in these chambers. Uh, the Marin County Board of Supervisors encourages a respectful dialogue that supports freedom of speech and values diversity of opinion. The board, staff, and members of the public are expected to be civil and courteous and to refrain from questioning the character or motives of others participating in the meeting. So uh, we'll have public comment in just a moment uh, after a board presentation, and then we'll have public comment on each item. But if I can just encourage everyone to uh, meet these expectations, I appreciate it. So we'll start right now with a request uh, from me to receive information services and technology presentation and proclaim October as Cybersecurity Awareness Month in Marin County. Good morning to our staff. Good morning, Supervisor Moulton Peters, board members. I'm Jason Balderrama, Chief Information Security Officer in our Information Services and Technology Department. And I'm joined today by Ava Rizzulli, our Information Security Manager. And yes, we're here today to celebrate October Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Uh, if I could get the next slide, please. So this is the 20th year of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Uh, the President and Congress uh, have designated this month uh, as Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And uh, this effort for, uh, is led by the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, uh, sponsored by the federal government, uh, to raise awareness to the public and encourage partnerships between uh, public and private in the realm of cybersecurity. Uh, we've seen that you know, a lot of the news, unfortunately, about cybersecurity is, is not great. Uh, there have been some notable ransomware and other malicious cyber attacks over the last year. Uh, most notably, probably City of Oakland hit pretty close to home for us. Um, but there have been others, uh, City of San Bernardino Sheriff's Department, and then we've seen more recently the attacks on um, the, the big casinos. Uh, so no one is necessarily safe from cyber threats. That said, there are actions we can all take uh, to help protect ourselves. And uh, I'm actually going to turn it over to Ava to talk about what some of those things are. Next slide, please. Uh, good morning, everyone. The first one is to use a strong password. Simple password can be guessed. Make password at least 16 characters long, random, and unique for each account. Uh, make sure you use a, a password manager, a secure pro program that maintains and creates passwords. Next slide, please. Number two is the turn on multi-factor authentication, MFA. Use MFA on any site that offers it. 
MFA provides an extra layer of security in addition to a password when logged into accounts or applications. Example of uh, multi-factor authentication is face scan or code sent by text. Using MFA will make sure you less likely to get hacked. Next slide, please. Recognize and reporting phishing emails. Most successful online intrusion result from a recipient of phishing message downloading malware or giving their personal information to the scammer. Do not click or engage with this phishing attempt. Instead, recognize them, report them to your IT department, and delete the messages. Next slide, please. Update software. When devices, application, or software programs, especially antivirus, notify us that update is available, make sure you install them as soon as possible. Updates close the security code box to better protect our data. Make sure you turn on automatic update to make it easier. Next slide. As I hand over to Jason again. So I'll just comment that internally with the county security program, it's really two primary components. One is because we are in IT, there's the whole technical aspect of things. So having firewalls, uh, pushing software updates, uh, managing our technical systems. Uh, but probably the more important aspect is uh, the security awareness for our employees. And we've done a lot of work to make sure that we have uh, training, we conduct regular exercises, we really try to make sure everyone knows that they have their own role to play in cybersecurity. Uh, so as far as efforts that we're doing um, beyond county borders, uh, you may recall in 2020 the Marin Civil Grand Jury uh, published a report uh, calling on uh, increased collaboration from Marin government agencies in the realm of cybersecurity. So we formed the Marin Security Collaboration, which was later rebranded as the Marin Security and Privacy Council. Uh, as part of the Digital Marin Strategic Plan. And uh, as it says, uh, you know, CISA encourages the collaboration, so we've done that at the local level where we have regular uh, discussions with our, our members, we share resources. Uh, if I can actually get the next slide, please. So the county provides a number of benefits to members of the council. Uh, we have our monthly security awareness newsletter, which is shared among all the members. Uh, alert notifications, so one of the things we recognize is that um, outside agencies, if they don't have cybersecurity expertise, they may not know how to handle uh, threat intelligence notifications. So we do our best uh, to send alerts on the most critical events in plain English language so that cities, towns, and other organizations can help protect themselves. Uh, document library, we have some resources available uh, with things like instant response plan templates, other things they can use uh, to help bolster their cyber defenses. And member engagement, so actually this Thursday we're convening a, a meeting of the Security and Privacy Council and we're bringing our local CISA rep to uh, provide an overview of services that agencies can take advantage of for free uh, to help it, uh, bolster their defenses. Next slide, please. Uh, so there's ways that um, the public and also organizations can get involved in cybersecurity with the county. Uh, if you go to marincounty.gov forward slash cyber, uh, there's links there where residents can sign up for our monthly newsletter, Marin Cyber Safe News. And then uh, for those who are interested in joining the Marin Security and Privacy Council, there's also a link there. Uh, membership again is free and we're there to 
collaborate, provide services. I'll say, um, as of now, uh, we have 35 member agencies, 28 public sector, and seven private sector, and hoping to continue expanding that out uh, to encourage cybersecurity collaboration uh, within Marin. Uh, next slide. And that actually concludes our presentation, uh, but really appreciate all of your support for cybersecurity, and I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you, uh, Jason and Ava. Are there questions from the board? Jason, Ava, thank you so much for being here today. Um, in terms of membership of the council, and, and I heard your last statement about trying to bring more folks on, so I'm assuming that includes special districts. Pretty much any public agency in the county could is welcome as it were? Uh, that's correct. It's actually both public and private agencies. So we have um, some uh, business owners, too, that have joined the council. But yes, special districts, cities, towns, um, a lot of them are members already. Uh, some of where I'd like to see us maybe get a little bit more traction would be in the education sector, uh, also uh, our local fire agencies. Uh, we have some, but definitely would like to see more. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes sense uh, at any at any level of government, private or public sector, um, and especially given the size of some of our organizations, our public agencies especially, they're not going to necessarily have expertise on board. So I think that it's a great uh, thing that we offer. So is the Office of Emergency Services also part of the council, and/or what's the intersection with our own Office of Emergency Service Management? I can't remember now what it's called. Um, the Office of Emergency Management, along with other county departments, uh, get the benefit of our internal uh, county security program. Uh, but that said, we have done some, some collaboration with them. You may have noticed the September issue of our security newsletter was actually focused on disaster preparedness, um, both uh, for you know, emergencies like fires, earthquakes, et cetera, as well as uh, being cyber prepared. So that was. Uh, in partnership with Steve Torrance and OEM uh, to make that happen. Thank you. Uh, I had a, oh, I'm sorry, Mary, please go ahead. I didn't see I just want to quickly say thank you. I appreciate the plain language and the sort of st steady drumbeat of information that you share. Um, I, I don't think it's anything that people love to spend time on, but it's really important <laughs> and appreciate that, you know, you say, okay, here's something you really need to be concerned about and just the kind of continual safety checks, checkups and so forth as we all get new technology in our lives constantly. So I, I really appreciate what the, you do for the county and for, for us as well. My question, Jason, was about something in the resolution regarding security and privacy by design. I like the sound of that. Can you explain <laughs> some of the things you're doing to do that? Yeah, so the concept there is that when you involve um, security and privacy early in a project, then you're able to integrate it better uh, to ensure that the end result is a, a product or service that is delivered in a secure fashion. I will just comment that um, you know, part of my role as the CISO, I also oversee two other programs, um, the Enterprise Architecture and Digital Accessibility, and uh, just say that we, we do find the same thing there, uh, especially in digital accessibility, that incorporating up front helps deliver accessible uh, solutions um, at the end. So I think that, you know, efforts that we've done, uh, anytime a new project is started, um, 
my division, which is information security and compliance, we have a standard process where we review project information. Um, if a vendor is involved, we send some questionnaires to get a sense of both their security, accessibility, and, and architecture. And uh, from that, you know, we, we assign resources as needed to make sure that things are followed through during the project life cycle and that the end result is something uh, that you know, we can all be proud of. Okay, if there's no further questions, um, I'm happy to open this up for any public comment on this item. Is there anyone in the chambers who wishes to address us? Uh, on this item, on this item. You do, good, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say that that is an impressive um, system, particularly in uh, regard to protecting the city and the employees. Um, I just received one of those warning notices from the city of Oakland and I had retired there 14 years ago. So it tells you how invasive things like that can be. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Uh, are there any comments online? Yes, the first speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. What concerns me is the intentional but questionable sale or distribution of information you collect on the public to entities outside of your direct control. This personal data can live forever with unintended uh, consequences and be misused. This was brought to my attention at a workshop just this last weekend um, that concerned these recent psychological surveys being conducted on the children in our public schools, which are being shared with organizations outside the control of the school system. This appears to be extremely problematic to me and deserves uh, at least parental notification and permission given the future consequences to the kids that are being surveyed. Also, one topic that um, was not mentioned in your presentation that I wish you would have mentioned is the use of VPNs and encryption technology uh, that is available to protect people's personal <laughs> cybersecurity. Thank you. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. Good morning. I just wanted to ask if you have taken some kind of precautions against uh, internal sabotage, like what happened to San Francisco decade, decades ago when a disgruntled employee uh, froze the entire system for San Francisco until uh, Gavin Newsom, when he was the mayor, he went to talk to him to get the code to um, release everything. So I'm just wondering if you have uh, measures to cover everything, not just external, but internal uh, sabotage. Thank you. There are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, we'll bring it back now. Jason, do you want to comment? I think you covered the last question, but if you'd like to confirm that. Uh, yes, so the answer is we do have internal measures to prevent those kinds of uh, situations. Uh, we follow best practices as outlined by um, CISA and other agencies um, as far as how we do our internal monitoring, protection, et cetera. And any time that we have an incident or suspected incident, uh, we take quick action to address it. 
Great, thank you very much. I'm gonna bring it back to the board now for a motion to approve the resolution for today. I move we approve the resolution. Second. Okay. We have a motion by Sackett, second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you and thank you for the presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now it's time for public expression on items not on the board's agenda today. So if you wish to address the board, now's the time. Come on up, give your name. You have two minutes. We'll go chambers and then online. My name is Barb Kelly, and my comment is addressing the insufficient time for the public to respond to the Fonzie on 825 Drake. By law, the county must make the FONSI available for public comments for 30 days when there is considerable interest or controversy concerning the project. It doesn't matter whether you've notified everyone or you don't think the objections are worth considering. The county must provide 30 days if the project is controversial. A Pacific Sun article had created outrage when the developer disparaged and insulted those who spoke against A25 Drake at the BOS meeting. Numerous written and phoned comments against the project were submitted to the county, and the March and April BOS meetings were extended for hours by people speaking against the project two minutes at a time. If this is not a controversial project, what is? I wrote an official request for 30 days explaining that, in addition to the project, being controversial. None of the references and citations used by the county to justify the 92-page FONSI were available to the public. They required access to the HEROES system, which is accessible only to county employees. When my 30-day request was completely ignored, I understood how the people of Marin City have felt for decades in dealing with the county, unseen and unheard. The county provided no access to their reference bases and no acknowledgments of the controversial project issue, so it was no surprise when the comments and two well-researched objection letters were dismissed by the county using the same bases to which we had no access. I have to ask, what would have been the harm in providing the 30-day comment period that a controversial project mandates? It would have at least given the appearance that you care about the public's comments, and it might have given you time to learn <coughs> that there really were issues not explained by the county, and you actually have more discretion about this project than you initially believed. Thank you. Please. Hi, good morning, supervisors. I'm Gail Patterson. I'm from Novato, and I'm here to talk about the 825 Save Our City. And hi, Eric, you're my man. So far, you're doing a good job. You still have my vote. <laughs> that was a joke. Okay, so the development of 825 actually, to me, is an ongoing gentrification project. It was designed to support households earning 70% of the medium household income across the county which is, in the county of Marin, the medium income is 175000 which means this whole project is designed to support ho households earning 122000 which is 70% of 175. But here's the deal. The average income in Marin City is uh, 32000 So most people in Marin City won't be able to afford the $2,500 starting rent in this project. Um, it just makes the whole, the whole project is virtually unaffordable for the local residents. I have a, 
a concern because it's just gentrification to me from reading has been going on since the end of the war when the shipbuilding process ended. And I believe that some small percentage, like 28% of all Marin City now is black. Once we lose this valuable black history in Marin, it's gone. It's just erased. And I agree that you did have a choice in approving this. I really, really beg you to relook at it and remember what has been said. It's never, there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Uh, Marguerite Moriarty again. And I'm here about 825 Drake Avenue. Um, some of you supervisors have heard what I'm going to say because, um, anyway, on the night of July 25th, I stopped at 825 Drake Avenue um, to look at the property. That was the day that um, uh, Caleb Roop had the uh, Buccaneer machine delivered to the property on Emmett Till's birthday. And I stood there pondering, how could he deliver that machine on the birthday of Emmett Till, when it is such a sad day for all African Americans and all the people that live in Marin City. Anyway, the next day, the demolition started, and you know, the permit wasn't, uh, they didn't get the permit until two days later. There weren't notices posted. There was flimsy uh, yellow caution tape across the front. I went right underneath it. Dust affected the elderly in the village of Dudawa. There weren't debris boxes. I went back, you know, a couple days later, and all the debris was laying all over the property. I have videos. I subsequently went to Mission Street in San Rafael to see the Cahill construction site of Aldersley, where the straw things were along the roadside. Um, there were um, guards for the, the street so that the dirt wasn't going straight down in it. But, you know, um, it's important for each of us, each of us citizens and this board, to be concerned about the rights of our citizens. They're our brothers. You know, collectively, we can stand up for the racial justice in this county. I mean, look at this room. It's filled with mostly white people. My son... Thank you, Marguerite. We're at time. I just have to say one more thing. My son is reading The Color of Law. He's 43 years old. And he sent me a text and he said, a whole class, he said, it's really sad. A whole class of people denied opportunity for no good reason. Hi, um, my name is Jerry Miller. I live in Belvedere, and I would like to uh, also address my concerns about the um, um, 825 Drake. Um, it has tremendous historical significance for the African-American community. Uh, one large family, the Banks family, uh, their ancestor, Reverend Samuel Banks, established the Village Baptist Church on the site and the family worked extensively uh, to build a church and feed and support the community for many years. Um, the impact of this project on um, low-income residents 
um, and seniors. And as a senior myself, I can truly appreciate uh, their concerns. Um, their, um, this five-story building um, is going to block light and views. And um, the, as all of us know, the blockage of sunlight can cause mold and health problems for seniors. And again, I say as a senior myself, I mean, I, I can feel for the residents and uh, understand their concerns, and I hope that you will take this into very serious consideration. Thank you. My name is Ann DeVero Rosenfeld, and I'm a member of Save Our City and uh, Friends of Golden Gate Village. First of all, I want to debunk the notion that the developer, Caleb Roop, has offered up a, device, a revised plan for 825 Drake Avenue. As far as we know, there is nothing on the table in writing, just some vague discussions with the county about fewer units, fewer stories, more parking, and donating profits. But I doubt if the Marin community would accept anything from this developer because they don't trust him. Marin City doesn't trust him as evidenced by not one, but two lawsuits. The Marin City leaders are rallying fiercely around this issue. They are tired of being exclu excluded in the decisions about their community, and they will not accept defeat. They have drawn a line in the sand and are demanding that the county revoke the bond funding that they approved earlier this year and do a full and substantial environmental impact review, as required, because there are huge impacts on the Marin City community by this development. You are complicit in this. You have given them over 1.8 million in county funds. You've approved 25 vouchers and approved 40 million in tax-exempt bonds. As the first AB35 project in Marin, it is clear that not only are you complicit in providing funding to this egregious development, but you are complicit in dumping affordable housing in Marin City. Please, don't continue to perpetuate the institutional racism that has caused the social and economic disparities in Marin City. Listen to Marin City residents and use your power to right this wrong now before it is too late. Thank you very much. Okay, is there anyone else in the chamber? All right, Eva, you're our last, then we'll go online. Thank you. I wanted to recognize the comments of the people who just spoke, and I appreciate their being here and speaking against 825 Drake. I think one of the reasons uh, this situation is where it's at right now, unfortunately, is that uh, no one heeded the advice of Bruce Risley. And I note that somebody cited the Pacific Sun. Uh, apparently, any attempt to mention uh, Bruce Risley's 1958 letter, which sets out a larger land claim for the descendants of the black shipyard workers, is verboten at the Pacific Sun, which incidentally, the Pacific Sun is receiving some part of a $40,000 media buy for quote unquote drug awareness. Um, it hasn't proved to be a, a, a reliable source in many ways. Um, I also just wanna point out, uh, it's, it's I think Color of Law, Rothstein's book is, is, is useful. I would, I would hope um, if you really want to, to look at the larger picture, people would look at Kianga Yamada Taylor's Race for Profit, how banks and the real estate industry undermined black home ownership. And that's a, that's a much more penetrating look uh, than what Rothstein offers. And I, I think 
it also points more in the direction of a larger land claim, uh, not just fighting a development project, but actually uh, looking at what happened to the black community in Marin and how they were sequestered into this particular area with hundreds of their wartime cottages uh, burnt to ashes with the permission of the county. That would never have happened in a white neighborhood in Marin County. Uh, I also want to point out what, what seems rather stark, and I'll talk more about this a little bit later, but um, we have noticed a trend where people who serve on your commissions uh, do not, uh, in general, come to speak in support of Marin City or against uh, 825 Drake or, or along those lines. It's, it's very noticeable. And uh, I see this over and over again. I want to point out I continue to um, try to get answers about Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group. I got a very interesting document from the county uh, yesterday, and with four seconds left, I'm going to have to add those details in the next comment. Thank you. Okay, we're going to go online. I see four hands. The first speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. Finally, a large multinational study has been done using mortality statistics to ascertain the efficacy and safety of the COVID so-called vaccines. Simple mortality statistics provide numbers that are the least vulnerable to falsification and clever manipulation. The study compared three different time sets, the period before the outbreak of the supposed pandemic, the period of 2020 before the so-called vaccines were rolled out, in the period during which the shots were administered to the general population. They concluded that the shots were responsible for 17 million premature deaths worldwide. The death rate was approximately one death per 800 injections. The incident of death increased exponentially with age peaking at one death per 20 injections in people over the age of 90. The rate of death doubled about every five years of age. Thus, a 50-year-old had 1 300th the likelihood of death by injection as a 90-year-old. The study revealed that all the spikes in mortality that occurred in 2020 were due to the combination of the lockdowns and the use of aggressive treatment protocols in hospitals and other facilities, which were recommended by the health authorities. This was demonstrated by the anomalies and deaths noted in the jurisdictional variability of the application of these protocols. This study couldn't find any examples of the shots uh, reducing mortality anywhere they were administered. And finally, the study also put into serious doubt that any unusually virulent respiratory virus was ever in widespread circulation during this time. Thank you. The next speaker is Mary Morgan. Please unmute. My name is Mary Morgan. Um, I live in Point Reyes Station. I also want to comment with regard to 825 Drake. In its rush to make a finding of no significant impact, the county cast a very narrow net in its consideration of the impacts of the proposed development. All of the problems you've heard about this morning, whether it is parking or sunlight or mold, all of those things are the impact that the county should have more thoroughly 
considered. The county simply didn't connect the dots. It's one thing to say the proposed development will be 74 high-rise units and 24 parking spaces. It's another to focus on the implications, traffic congestion, blocking of sunlight, difficulty of senior citizens finding parking on a steep hill. hill. Air pollution is always present in a construction zone. Workers often wear masks. But again, the county didn't connect the dots. Village Oto Ottawa is adjacent to the proposed development. The adverse impacts of such air pollution are particularly severe on this vulnerable population. Similarly, when considering environmental justice, the county took a very narrow view and did not look at the overall context. The proposed project will disrupt the demographic character of Marin City. With the addition of 182 residents that will potentially occupy 825 Drake, that may only be a small fraction of the countywide population, but it will be a 6.2 increase in the population of Marin City. Because most of these apartments will not be affordable for current Marin City residents, this project will only exacerbate a trend toward gentrification. With its narrow lens on, the county seems not to recognize this adverse impact on the historically black community of Marin City. I urge you to settle the lawsuit in federal court, say that the FONSI was inadequate, and prepare an honest and thorough environmental impact statement in collaboration with residents of Marin City. Thank you. Speaker is Aileen Ruski. Please unmute. Good afternoon. Sorry, you're not coming through correctly. Uh, there seems to be a malfunction with your microphone. We'll come back to you. Uh, the, next, the next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. I would like to talk about the Fair Political uh, Practice Commission that states that um, anybody working for the county has to make a statement of economic interest, Form 700. I noticed that when you <clears throat> were interviewing the last candidates for your uh, finance committee, Commission that uh, all of them, you asked every one of them whether they had a conflict of interest and they all, one of them stated that he would excuse himself if he did, since he was very well informed or connected with finance. But I was just wondering why you don't uh, apply that to uh, your committees, your other, like say 1185, in which case you do have people who have an economic interest in uh, uh, the direction of the county as to which way uh, they might uh, uh, go. And one of them is Heidi um, Merchant, who is a sworn deputy, at uh, least uh, was or is, and um, to the county of Marin, and also because her husband is a, a chief in Sonoma. So, I mean, that that you can't ask for anything more than a conflict of interest there. Then you also have the Human Rights Commission that has uh, several people on it that has uh, police um, or interest with um, with the county. You have uh, the vice chair, uh, uh, Curtis Aiken, who has a son in the, in the police department. So how is he going to vote when it comes to something that 
uh, you know, uh, deals with equipment or money, uh, or you and you have the chair himself who uh, is connected with uh, uh, a lawsuit for for twenty one million dollars. So he, he has an economic interest um, uh, in all of these matters. So why aren't you applying that to uh, these co uh, commissions and 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 committees who are are actively connected to the county? Thank you. We'll close open time for public expression and go on to agenda item number three, Board of Supervisors matters and the county administrator's report. I'm going to look to my left, Vice President Rodoni. Uh, good morning. Only one thing this morning. District 4 fall community conversations were kicked off last week on Friday by Zoom in Corte Madera, Larkspur, and San Quentin Village. And this Wednesday, the same thing will take effect in Novato, followed by Tamales, Dillon's Beach next week, and East San Rafael. The entire schedule is on my website if anyone wants to tune in to any of those opportunities. Thank you. Thank you. Supervisor Sackett. Thank you. I just wanted to give an update um, on the Criminal Justice and Behavioral Health Committee work. Um, that continues, and this is really focused on the issues of breaking the cycle from mental health issues that lead people from the streets to emergency rooms to the jail and back to the streets. Um, last week, the Public Defender's Office, Probation, District Attorney's Office, Sheriff, Health and Human Services, um, leadership from all those departments came together to really map out the system. And so we're doing a um, sequential intercept model to map out the system, what forms people fill out where, and how we can um, bring those, all of that work together. Um, and it, it was really encouraging from, you know, how many times data is entered and who has access to it, et cetera, and how that really does have an impact on the outcomes of, of some of these folks. Um, and it was pointed out to me during that that it's not a given to get all of these departments, frankly, together and working together on solutions and that other counties you oftentimes can't get everybody from, you know, the district's attorney's office and public defender and so forth together. Um, so I was really proud of, of our departments and willingness to look for solutions and to provide the best outcomes for our residents and ultimately our public safety. So that work is ongoing. It was kind of the core group mapping the system and then we'll bring in community-based partners over the next couple months to continue to look at where are gaps where people are falling out of the system. So I'll keep you posted. Supervisor Rice and then Lupin. I just quickly, um, I was at down at Coastal Commission last week in San Diego, actually in the um, city of Imperial Beach, which is the southernmost city in California. Um, and as in many meetings over the last few years at um, Coastal Commission, an array of projects have come been coming before us, um, everything from proposals for development of new housing within the coastal zone to projects trying to address the decimation of beaches due to um, climate change and sea level rise. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, property owners seeing their properties threatened by sea level rise. And it, the combination of um, the issues we see, statewide issues we see, 
um, around lack of housing is as much a factor in the coastal zone uh, as it is and everywhere, uh, and the pressure to build affordable housing, though there's some uh, disconnect between what um, RENA allocations are proposing up and down the coast in our coastal communities and with the amount of affordable housing that's actually being developed as part of those projects uh, because of some of our state legislation that actually doesn't doesn't have a, a high bar in terms of affordability. Um, anyway, interesting conflict there, um, but just uh, sea level rise, beach decimation, um, the threatening of private property um, because of sea level rise, and, um, and then also the pressure of communities and the need for communities to have access to their beaches um, continue to be um, on the agenda of every coastal commission meeting and attending. So anyway, interesting stuff, and we have our own piece of it here in Marin County. Uh, just a quick update. On Saturday, I attended the 50th anniversary of ESCOM, uh, which is the Emeritus Students of College of Marin. Uh, it was a great celebration and program held at College of Marin. Our board had previously adopted a resolution uh, recognizing their 50th anniversary. Um, it was great to uh, see everybody coming together. There was a wonderful keynote by Ken Dykewald, who's a, an, an expert in the area of aging. Uh, and it was just a great program all around held at the Jonah Center there in Novato. Uh, and then lastly, I just want to wish a very special happy birthday to Althea Jones of Novato, who turned 105 last week. Wow. Okay, Eric. Uh, I'll just round it out with uh, last weekend I went to the Ready Tiburon Belvedere uh, event, and that was all of our get ready and uh, prepare your home uh, for fire and flood season. So that was a good event, and we'll be doing more of them around Southern Marin in the coming months. I'll turn now to the county administrator. And no report this morning, supervisors. Supervisor Moulton Peters, can I quickly add? I failed to mention that Health and Human Services is really leading in behavioral health, bringing together that criminal justice and behavioral health work. So, I want to thank them, and I didn't mean to leave them off the list. All right. Uh, we'll take public comment now on the items on uh, the Board of Soups and County Administrator report. Thank you. Um, I, I'd like to say that uh, your county administrator is a little too modest uh, by pointing out that he has no report. I would like to report <laughs> uh, a document I received from the county um, that I had worked very hard to get. Um, I sent a request in August uh, for information regarding Heidi Merchant's employment as a deputy uh, with the Murray County Sheriff. Uh, she was uh, here presenting on June 23rd your uh, very weak civilian oversight proposals, which you accepted just seven days before you handed the sheriff uh, another uh, $2.86 million. Um, it's clear to me that there was significant conflict of interest, um, and only by digging around uh, did I find that uh, Ms. Merchant may have been a certified officer. I sent a request for information to your Human Resources Department. Uh, that apparently went to the recycle bin, and, um, and I had an earlier, uh, well, I had a series of CPRAs that, with a lot of prodding, eventually, with a lot of work, got me uh, the applications for the Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group, which indicate that um, Heidi Merchant was not only uh, a deputy working in the jail 
the deadly Marin County Jail here. She was a deputy with the Sonoma County uh, Sheriff working in their deadly jail. Of course, she's also married to Mike Merchant, the assistant sheriff who's in charge of that deadly jail. That should have been disclosed. Many other things should have been disclosed. Curtis Aiken's son being a police officer in San Francisco and then a sheriff deputy in San Francisco. Um, he, Curtis Aikens is now paid via county funds. He's now receiving money via county funds. Um, I'd like you to point out that. You have time. Oh, can I say one more thing? Yeah, Thank very you. quickly. Uh, it's, it's unfair to those of us who dig so hard to derive this information, which you should have provided, to cut us down to two minutes. But uh, it appears that most of these people on the Sheriff's Civilian Oversight um, have okay. severe conflicts of interest. You and that's detailed thing. at marinecountyconfidential.substack.com. Thank you for your time. Are there any comments online? Yes, the first speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. Once again, we have this, um, I consider fear mongering about sea level rise. I have had an office for over 40 years, literally at sea level. And um, I would have to say that I have not noticed any increase in the height or any increase in inundation in 40 years uh, looking at the sea I live on the houseboats uh, out on Issaquah. And I have not, and I sometimes go out there to walking visit on that dock. There has been no evidence out there of sea level rise. When I first moved to Marin County, I lived in Muir Beach. On my recent visit out there, I can attest to the fact that I see no noticeable change in the level of the sea that I behold before me. And so this sea level rise uh, assertion that is constantly being made, which appears to be made primarily in order to gain access to government grants, it begs the question, who's providing the metrics to justify these assertions? I mean, where are the actual research metrics to validate this concern, which is being used to basically, I think, frighten people unnecessarily? We have many bigger problems in the world today than this idea that the oceans are rising uncontrollably to engulf us. I mean, we're actually at the edge of a nuclear war. So I think that we ought to put that on the back burner and um, approach things a little more rationally. Thank you. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierda. Please unmute. Uh, I want to just quickly uh, add that I might have forgotten that uh, for the Fair Political Co Practice Commission, um, it's Form 700, which everybody has to, uh, supposedly has to fill, fill out. But also, I really want to comment on the fact that the county um, of Marin is permitting uh, a lawlessness of not following uh, the law, like not following Form 700 for people who have, who have uh, economic interest in, uh, in the county. And then also uh, the uh, the Human Rights Commission, which uh, does not follow the uh, the Brown Act or follow their own uh, bylaws, or you know, or they simply have uh, stop any kind of transparency. They 
council meetings. They, uh, they get rid of uh, videos when, uh, when their um, chairs are acting inappropriate. So in a way, the county is permitting all of this, uh, in fact, the uh, lawlessness. I mean, they just simply are not going to be following the rules. You allow it. You know that they're supposed to be doing it. But you, for some people, you ask them to to uh, whether they have a conflict of interest, but you don't for a uh, for other committees and commissions that are going to serve your purpose. So in a way, uh, you are in fact you, you refuse to um, investigate this. Why don't you? Why don't you uh, look into the Human Rights Commission? Why don't you ask them that they follow their own uh, bylaws or or the law, Robert's Rules of Order? You you talked about in the at the big, very beginning about civility. They don't have civility. They attack journalists like. Ever and you and you don't do anything. You don't uh, reprimand or get rid of these people who are actually uh, uh, permitting uh, this fiefdom in, in their organization, and you allow it because they serve your purpose. Thank you, President Mullen Peters. There are no additional speakers in the queue. We will move on now to item number four, that's consent calendar A. Is there anyone on the board who'd like to uh, comment or pull an item from A? Okay, I'm not seeing any. Is there any public comment on consent A? And could you identify the item yeah, you're gonna it, be commenting this on, This is um, consent A, is that the one with the, the Barbier security? It is? Thank you. Um, I think there needs to be a little more investigation of Barbier security before you hand them half a million dollars. Um, I've collected many complaints from unhoused people who have been ill-treated by Barbier security. There's also the matter of the million dollar plus PPP loan um, to Barbier security that was completely forgiven even at a time when Barbier was earning, just from that internment camp alone, was earning $33,000 a month, thirty-two dollars to $33,000 a month from the city of San Rafael for security at that internment camp, um, it, they provided only one guard. Um, in the entire time that that internment camp under the freeway, which had no water, no bathrooms, uh, no electricity, in the time, I know you're sighing, but this is, this is important. I, I understand that you're tired of hearing this, but I'm tired of asking for an investigation. Uh, Harry Barbier um, is involved with this group. Um, he was a police officer in San Rafael. I was there when the camp was being dismantled, uh, and Har Harry Barbier was there, and I asked him about the PPP loan. I said, why did you need that? Where did the money go? Um, he didn't feel that it was necessary to provide any sort of uh, answer and so you should be asking these questions. Um, it, is, it is unacceptable that Jimmy Sanders, who died in July on the street with an, either an unusable or expired housing voucher, a military veteran, a black military veteran who died on the street after he was so sickened in that internment camp, and all this time you were handing money to Barbier to not do their job. And, and meanwhile, I couldn't put a roof over, over Jimmy's head. Thank, Thank you. you. We're at time. Are there any other speakers in the chamber? Are there any speakers online? Senator Mullen Peters, there are no speakers in the chamber. Bring it back to the board. I'll move consent A. Thank you. Second. 
Thank you. We have a motion. Lucan, a second by Jacket. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Now to consent B. Is there? I have yes. a question on one item um, or a request. CB1 is the um, request for allocation of 400000 towards uh, of federal stimulus funds towards the Electrify Marin program, which I think is an excellent program. But what I would like to ask Matthew is if, but, um, as I understand it, the program does offer different incentive levels based on um, income levels, so uh, income qualifying residents, lower income I would assume, um, or property owners receive a higher incentive. And, and what I would ask is that if it's possible for um, program staff to actually take a look at the incentive uh, numbers in light of the tax rebates that are now available um, for folks electrifying, there's a significant tax credit that um, folks can access who are paying taxes at the level 30% of the cost of of electrification, I'm just wondering if that might influence and shift more of those monies towards um, to even provide a greater incentive to lower income uh, property owners who are making those kinds of improvements, uh, given they don't won't necessarily benefit from the tra tax credit as much as someone who's wealthier is. Would yes. Uh Good morning, Supervisors. I'm Dana Armanino, Sustainability Planning Manager and support the Electrify Marin program. We actually have announced that uh, beginning November 1st, the standard incentive, the non-income eligible incentive level will drop, uh, but the in income eligible incentive level will stay the same. We've looked at the IRA tax credits, the upcoming state rebates, and we feel like this is the best way to stack them so that uh, income eligible individuals can receive the best benefit. Great, perfect, thank you. Okay, seeing no other. Uh, I'm happy to move um, uh, CB consent, consent B. Okay, great, and is there a second to that? Second. Thank you, is there a public comment now? I don't see anyone in the chambers and I don't see anyone online. I'm gonna bring it back for a vote. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. Okay, we're moving on now to number six, presentation from Cultural Services on the launch of the countywide public art map and database. Welcome to our Cultural Services team. Good morning. Um, I am Libby Garrison from Cultural Services, and I am thrilled. I do have a PowerPoint, so hopefully it will. Okay, thrilled to be here to showcase our newest project. Um, so this um, is the launch of our Marin County Public Art and Nonprofit Arts Map and Database. Um, the impetus for this public art map and database came out of Arts Culture Action Marin which was the 2019 Marin Arts and Cultural Plan, whose three principal goals are to cultivate and advance Marin as an arts and culture center, ensure Marin arts are by and for everyone, and sustain and grow Marin's arts resources. Oh, 
Okay, so go back. <laughs> um, okay, so we started, I started researching public art in Marin cities and towns and found limited and disparate information and wanted to create one database for all public art in Marin County. I began driving around Marin looking at what was on view and free for anyone to see. In early 2020, I had hired an intern to help me, but shortly after, we were experiencing COVID. So I transitioned to a DSW, and this project was on hold for two and a half years. Fast forward to 2023. Next slide. Um, I resumed this project and was able to somehow persuade IST and the GIS team to take this public art journey with me to create something wonderful for our entire community. I detailed, researched, photographed, and mapped over 150 public artworks throughout Marin, from the famous sea lion in Sausalito to the Buddha barn in Point Reyes Station and everywhere in between. We wanted to create a map, an excursion, art, an artistic discovery for those art lovers and cultural-seeking residents and tourists alike. And yes, this consumed my weekends and evenings for an entire year. Next slide. So now, after months and months of development, we are thrilled to launch this today, the Marin County Public Art Map. It lives on our website, marincenter.org, and it's a featured link um, on our homepage. The homepage painting is by one of our favorite local artists, Kathleen Lipinski. And you can sort of see at the top of the slide, it has three buttons to discover, the public art map, the arts nonprofits, and a contact us button. Next slide. The first button <clears throat> is the public art map, where you can search over our 150 listings by city or town, art type, from murals, sculptures, to mosaics, and more, or by artist. Next slide. If you search by city, you can easily create your own art tour at your leisure. This is an example from Sausalito. You click on the address, and it immediately will give you the directions to the artwork. Next slide. If you click on more info, you get a pop-up window with additional details about the artist and the artwork. And if you click on the address, it takes you directly to your GPS uh, and directions. Next slide. We want to encourage our community members to go out, go for a walk, find other artworks we somehow missed, and help us make this map and database as rich and full with content as possible. We have a button on the website where anyone can offer additions, edits, address updates to our listings. Or just use hashtag publicartmarin and we'll be on the lookout for updates on our social media channels. We want this to be a fun activity for everyone and celebrate the rich cultural legacy we have here in Marin. Next slide. The third button on the map links you to a database of Marin arts nonprofit organizations. When you click on the organization name, it takes you directly to their website and if you click on the address, similar to the public art, it takes you directions on how to get there. Next slide. The map and database of all Marin arts nonprofits is searchable by type, from museum to music to theater to arts education, each with its own icon. Next slide. So this is just an example. Um, the map has 
uh, if we searched all of the arts organizations, it's a pretty large concentration of arts nonprofits throughout Marin. Next slide. Now we know that searching by images can be challenging from an accessibility standpoint, so we also have the content in list and table format so that everybody can partake. Next slide. Public art is good for you. <laughs> public art adds meaning to our cities and towns as a reflection of our public history, our evolving culture, and our collective memory. Public artworks and arts activities create attractive, welcoming spaces for people to live, work, and raise families. Public artistic engagement builds bridges across cultures, generations, and geography, and strengthens a sense of communal identity. Exposure to the arts fosters young imaginations and facilitates children's success in school. And older adults who engage with the arts report better physical and mental health, fewer doctor visits, and higher rates of social engagement. Next slide. We hope you will all check this out, take an art journey on your own, and help us celebrate the richness of art in our own backyards. <clears throat> Next slide. I want to personally thank the small but very mighty team who took this artistic journey with me from cultural services, Gabriella, my fearless leader who let me go on these crazy art journeys. Thank you. Um, our intern in 2020, Francis Sutton, and the IST team who is here in support with me. Stand up, please, as I call your name. Michelle Jennings, who created this GIS map from a list of works and pictures that I had been collecting on my phone. Marina Raskin, who was our leader in this project. Nancy Anzalone and Natalia Beckman, who made sure every single listing was accessible to everyone in our community. And Jeff Daniel, who literally held us all together and made sure we got to the finish line. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Last, next slide is the last slide. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning, supervisors. I just uh, I just wanted to commend Libby and the IST team, and actually, I just wanted to thank Liza and the entire team for the partnership on this. Um, it wouldn't have happened without both of both organizations working together, and this is really exciting. Um, this hasn't been done before, and this hopefully will make a big difference for our visitors and our residents. So, thank you, Libby. Thank you, team. Okay, we have a winner. Comments from my colleagues. Mary, please. Thank you so much um, for the presentation, Libby. It really is clear that this is a labor of love <laughs> and that we all benefit from. Um, I know, I remember back in maybe 2017 being in the exhibit hall where there was a convening of a lot of the arts organizations who were asking for this um, very thing and and the technology challenges to it were <coughs> very real and felt insurmountable at times so um, thank you to the big team who kept working on it and bringing it together um, you know where I've seen interest in this over the years is people who have donated art or have a bust like up in the garden of mm -hmm. a you know fellow elected, former elected official saying, is it still there? Is anybody taking care of it? Does anybody know whose bust that is? Um, and, and really the people who have brought some of these artworks want to know that we're tracking and taking care of them. So I see a real benefit of 
just ha- you know having an inventory, let alone being able to go on a weekend um, excursion. So thank you all for this work. It's really exciting, and have to link in for the weekend and and drive around a little bit. Yeah, I want to thank both the teams. It's really exciting uh, project. Uh, it's also nice to have a feel good <laughs> agenda item that really makes you feel good. So thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, looking forward to, to using it and learning from it because I think there's a lot of art out there that we may not even recognize. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you. I can't wait to get out there and use it. So, And is it really, is this a first? I mean, Gabriella, you said this is a first, so no other community has managed. Way to go. Libby, what are you going to do this year? Oh, I have. <laughs> don't you worry. I have lots of plans. <laughs> it's fantastic. We look forward to using Thank it. You. Thanks for bringing it to us. We'll take public comment if there is any. All right. I'm not seeing any in the chambers. Is there any online? Yes. The first speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. Yeah, I um, was really happy about watching this um, with all the art we have around here, but I went online, and um, I can't find the map online. So if you could actually uh, tell us what the actual URL code would be to access it directly, it would be very helpful. Thank you. The next speaker is Aileen Ruski. Please unmute. Hello. Can you understand me? you're coming through loud and clear. Go ahead, sir. Okay, thank you. First, my name is Ed Rusky. I'm Eileen's husband. <laughs> I live in Mill Valley. I wanted to commend this. Uh, uh, we know everything is political, but uh, putting the politics aside for the moment, this is a lovely project. Um, I may have missed it, but I wanted to know whether or not there is an app that can be uh, accessed the same information uh, as we uh, travel around. The next speaker is caller with telephone number ending in 174. Please unmute. Caller, you must unmute your device. Hello? Go ahead. Yeah, hi. This is um, this is Michelle Kalashian. That was a lovely presentation. What I wanted to share is that I tried to raise my hand earlier for a concise calendar item and apparently you couldn't see it. So can I speak to that for a minute? I'm sorry. Is it on this item? No. Uh, I'm sorry. We can't do that right now. Do I get a chance? I just wanted to thank you all. That's all I wanted to Super. <laughs> we appreciate your thanks. Okay. Thank you. We'll bring it back and I, can, are there any responses about the app and the URL that we can share? So I can share that the URL is marincenter.org, which will take you directly to the Department of Cultural Services page. And on the left side of the screen is a section called Featured Links. And the public art map is the second item um, under Featured Links. And if you click on that page, the map comes up in the center of the screen. And you can click directly on the map, and it will take you there. Okay. And to respond to the app, I'm going to hand it over to my IST colleague, Marina, to answer. Good morning. I'm Marina Raskin, lead systems engineer with IST GIS team. 
Um, the app uh, is available online, but we also have, it's mobile friendly. So when you access the map, it will respond in different type of devices. It will um, have a different layout on phones on, or tablets. So uh, there is no app in the app store, but it's a web application that is available on different type of devices and it's, it, everybody is welcome to use any type of mobile device or tablet to use the app. So we go to the marincenter.org link that you just mentioned and mm -hmm. find our way to this program and then we'll be able to access different formats. It is also available if uh, people go to marincounty.org and uh, find cultural services department, they will get to the same page. All right, very good. We know how to find you now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very exciting. Next, we'll move to item number seven. This is a request from the Community Development Agency. <laughs> okay, yeah, good. One more round of applause. Good morning, board members. Lily Thomas with the Community Development Agency. And the item before you this morning is a grant of housing trust funds for the acquisition of a 10-unit apartment building at 59 Ignacio Lane in the city of Novato. Um, the project will serve transitional age foster youth, or youth who are aging out of the foster care system. And the applicant is the Marin Foster Care Association, a nonprofit which has um, historically provided support services to foster care families. And this is their first foray into housing and the first project in Marin to serve foster care youth. Um, having safe, affordable housing is critical for these youth to reduce chances of homelessness and to provide them stable housing to make a successful transition into the community. In addition to the grant before you, um, which is $50,000 per unit, the Marine Community Foundation will also be considering a grant of $500,000, and the City of Novato is considering $150,000, um, and the remaining funding will be through a private loan. Uh, we'll be bringing the grant agreement and the regulatory agreement to you on consent agenda next week, and we'll continue to work with the Marin Foster Care Association on finalizing the details. And we're really excited about this unique opportunity. As I mentioned, it's the first time that we've been able to serve this population. Um, I, I would also note that the existing tenants will not be displaced, as is the case with all of our acquisitions of existing buildings of naturally occurring affordable housing, that the existing tenants will be there. There's some current vacancies which will be occupied by the, by the target population, and then there'll be services that are provided through a contract that, that the Health and Human Services has that they provide services currently, as well as some housing subsidies to help this um, population with housing as they're moving on to their, into their own. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions, and I believe Ashley Hurd, the executive director of Marin Foster Care, is also here to, if there's um, questions that we would like her to answer. Thank you for bringing this to us, Lily. It's very exciting. Ashley, would you like to address the board? You certainly can. You or your colleague? Yeah, right up here at the... Because I'm the applicant, can I have maybe three minutes? Two and a half. I'll talk fast. Okay, great. <laughs> um, well, good morning. My name is Ashley Hurd. I'm the executive director of Marin Foster Care. I'm also a foster parent, and we fostered eight, uh, nine different children during this journey. 
Um, I'm here today to ask for the board's support so we can purchase this building to house aging out foster youth. We all know that affordable housing here in Marin is a challenge, and I can say it's even more of a challenge for this uh, population. So that's when we decided to take matters into our own hands. Um, landlords simply won't rent to our youth, or it makes it very, very challenging to rent to our youth. And that's how we ended up being in contract for this uh, building, 59 Ignacio Lane in Novato, a 10-unit uh, apartment building, where we will deed restrict all of these units low income and preserve this uh, affordable housing for Marin. This building is close to uh, public transportation, restaurants, grocery store, just two and a half miles from College of Marin Indian Valley campus. It's truly a really prime location for, for this demographic. And the funding we seek today is really that um, final piece of the puzzle. We've had an amazing collaboration between Marin Foster Care, a private donor, the city of Novato, Marin Community Foundation, and hopefully the county of Marin. In California, close to 31% of aging out foster youth, youth end up homeless at age 18. And we have the chance to help change that here in Marin. In anticipation for closing on this property, we've uh, lined up a professional property management company to help with the day-to-day -day operations. We also have established a relationship with Nova Row Corporation, who's been in, uh, in affordable housing for many years. We have a really close relationship with Alternative Family Services, the organization in the East Bay that the County of Marin has contracted out to do our independent living program and housing program for many years. We also have a really strong connection with uh, Health and Human Services and Children and Family Services, which is really vital to a, a project like this. And it's our hope that we can make this a model for other nonprofits to follow and really help tackle the housing crisis here in Marin. Um, Aging out foster youth, you know, deserve to stay in Marin when they turn 18 and really give them the chance to succeed, and this project really does that. So we do want to extend our, uh, you know, gratitude to the CDA staff for bringing this in front of you today, for you guys listening to it, and we hope that you'll follow their recommendation and join us on this endeavor. Thank you so much. Happy to answer questions. Great. Thank you. Any questions from the board? Not seeing any? So I think that's great. We'll go to public comment now, see if there's anyone here in the chambers who'd like to comment on this project. Uh, not seeing any, let's go online. Are there any comments? Yes, the first speaker is Aileen Rusky. Please unmute. Hello again, Ed Rusky. Uh, uh, again, Aileen Rusky's husband. I live in Mill Valley. Um, I really uh, had just one question. Uh, first, introducing, I have little doubt that each and every one of uh, your foster care aging out kids uh, qualify. But uh, I was wondering if you could tell us what is the uh, measurement or, or metric for determining what is low income? Thank you. President Mo Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. Uh, could we get clarification on a question that was just asked? Yeah, the the rents are restricted uh, for the project at low income, which is actually about $90,000 for a household of one. <clears throat> and obviously, the, those kind of rents would be difficult for a transitional age, likely be difficult for a transitional age youth. However, through um, the Health and Human Services and some of their um, organizations that they subcontract with, there are housing vouchers that provide a subsidy so that people can transition into um, 
into pri into housing like this, privately owned housing, and there there's a voucher that they're that's supporting their um, housing stability. So that's the way folks are able to afford it. Great, thank you. So I'm going to bring this back now to the board uh, for a motion to approve a grant in the amount of five hundred thousand dollars from Marin County's Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Uh, for the acquisition of this property and also to approve a budget adjustment as outlined in the fiscal impact statement section. I will uh, move the item with some comments to follow. We'll see. Do we have a second? Yeah. I'll second that. Okay. All right. Um, I just really want to uh, thank uh, Marin Foster Care Association for the work in doing this and, and dreaming big. I know this is, uh, you know, a little outside of what you would normally do, or maybe a little outside your comfort zone, but you recognize the need and you stepped up in a really big way. Um, and I, I can't thank you enough uh, for, for, for taking this step, and I think it is setting a model and, um, for other nonprofits to follow to preserve this much-needed uh, affordable housing uh, in our communities for the, the clients that, uh, that are served um, by these different organizations. And I also want to recognize the other partners that are coming together to make this happen. Um, Marine Community Foundation, I know uh, City of Novato has this coming up on their agenda. Uh, so it's really a bu bunch of the community coming together uh, to, to address the need, and uh, I'm just really excited that it's uh, happening right here in Novato and want to thank our staff for all the work they did in bringing this forward. Thank you. I'll invite other board comments if there are any. Yeah, I'll just quickly add that um, I'm really excited about this project too and we talked about the last agenda item as being a feel-good item. Um, this one sort of cuts both ways because just thinking about the kids who need this um, sort of makes me choke up a little bit of, of how much of, of being 18 and really being on your own trying to find housing in the county of Marin seems frightening from a number of levels. So to know that there will be a place that that is available for those kids to, you know, try to continue to get their feet on the ground and that we can provide some services to um, support them on their journey is um, really exciting. So appreciate everybody coming together to think creatively. And, you know, it's, it's 10 units isn't, isn't changing the world, but I think it really will change the need for this population um, in our county. So really glad to see this come forward. Yep, and I'm happy to support this. You know, uh, the board priorities, preserving affordable housing, this aligns well with that. And I also think it lays out the format for other nonprofits to be looking at opportunities like this because we have a lot of multifamily, small multifamily units that might fit this role really well. So thank you for bringing it forward. Uh, and uh, I just want to add my uh, thanks to you, Lily, for pursuing this and Ashley for your incredible initiative to make this happen and pull it off. And I do think it's a model. And I'm happy that not this and the uh, agenda item that follows are some very innovative things the county is doing to create more affordable housing. And I think that's something we can be proud of. I just tag on, um, great project, uh, ditto what my colleagues have seen, but also just more generally the work that the Foster Care Association has done to broaden visibility um, uh, of foster care needs here in the county and um, really excellent work these last few years in getting, I think, the county just that much more involved, but also the broader community. So um, thank you for all you're doing for these kids. Great. Okay, so we've had a motion by Luke and a second by Rodoni. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. That is approved. 
Our next item is Agenda 8, Community Development Agency, to hold a public hearing and adopt a resolution authorizing CDA to apply for and accept pathways to removing obstacles to housing grant from HUD. Good morning, board members. Um, Lily Thomas with the Community Development Agency. I'm also joined by Liz Darby, who has been working on this grant with us. Um, and the item before you is to hold a public hearing as required by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development um, to apply for this grant. Um, they require a public hearing to be held, and so um, that is the item before you. The grant is intended um, to address regulatory barriers to developing affordable housing, particularly in areas of opportunity, and the County of Marin is identified by HUD as a priority area. Um, and uh, however, the county's certified housing element has addressed these regulatory barriers that HUD has identified. So the proposal before you is really to implement housing element programs, um, including our, to our, um, our goals to affirmatively further fair housing, to support housing choice countywide at all income levels, and to support home ownership opportunities for low and moderate income households. And this grant would support the creation of a countywide land trust, either through building on existing land trusts and expanding on their capacity to act countywide, or to create an organization to work countywide and support other organizations. For example, to support the, um, the Marin Foster Care project that we've heard about or other small nonprofits who are interested in kind of exploring and supporting housing in their communities but then but may not have the expertise to do it. And this would fill a gap for development opportunities for smaller projects which are not feasible for, you know, we have our larger regional nonprofits that do larger tax credit, you know, more significant numbers, but there's a gap really for identifying these smaller projects and really actively pursuing them as well as home ownership opportunities. So the land trust could support shared equity home ownership opportunities, um, support opportunities for community or tenant ownership of housing to prevent displacement, create missing middle, and that's defined as kind of the smaller type developments, ADUs, um, there's more flexibility around ownership between ADUs and, um, sorry, accessory dwelling units and um, homes. So there's examples of that, um, as well as kind of fourplexes, smaller buildings, and smaller apartment complexes. Um, the land a land trust governing structure could include populations who have previously not participated in decision making who have historically been denied housing opportunities and resources, and who represent indigenous and people of color as well as other members of the protected classes. Um, the grant application is for a total of three million, which would include both community outreach, technical assistance to either grow an existing land trust or to establish a, a, another one, as well as seed money to support the activities of the project, for, for example, support home ownership or through um, acquisition of property. The grant does not require a match of funds, but we but to be more competitive, it's a really competitive process. There's only $85 million um, nationwide, and so we are really trying to position ourselves to be as competitive as we can. And to do that, we're recommending that there be a match um, 
and uh, we're proposing to provide a million dollars from this fund that we have called the Restricted Affordable Housing Fund. Um, it was generated from excess fund uh, mortgage revenue bonds issued by the redevelopment agencies. And these funds would be used to support acquisition of property by a countywide land trust with a priority for serving Marin City. And if we are awarded the grant, staff would return to your board with specific funding awards. So those would come back before you. Um, we are also working with a number of community-based organization partners who are involved in home ownership, including Marin Housing Authority, Habitat for Humanity Greater San Francisco, um, Community Action Marin, who provides um, credit counseling and financial um, advice, as well as Fair Housing Advocates of Northern California, which is the certified HUD um, homeownership educator in the county, and our local land trust throughout the county. Finally, I'd like to note that there is also a program through the state, just to make it more confusing, called HUD HCD Pro Housing Designation. And this is a different process. This is not to address any kind of regulatory changes would be required. It's really around implementation of our certified housing element. Um, and then with that, um, Liz and I are happy to answer any questions that you may have. I'm not seeing it. I'm looking to my right. I'm not seeing it. I have some. Yeah, I have a question. And <laughs> sorry. And Lily, I'm. I I may be off on this, given kind of the two different names, and we did receive some comments, you know, this morning on this project. But is this um, or on this agenda item? Is this item adding any? zoning or designations or anything that will change what we have in our housing element currently, any no. land use decision? Yeah, no, it will not. So, you know, s some of the intent of the of the grant is really to look at those, but since we already have those in the housing element, we're not, there's no changes that we are um, recommending as part of this grant. It's really implementing our existing housing element programs with the focus, as we talked about, on, um, affirmatively furthering fair housing, housing choice. But it, there's no zoning changes or land use changes associated with the grant. So do I understand correctly that it is, we have our housing element where we said we were gonna look at certain things to remove barriers to create housing within the county. This um, program isn't going to push that any direction or further or faster. It, it's it's really to look for grant funding to do what we have already identified in our housing element. Exactly. Okay, thanks. I, I just have a quick question, and maybe Liz, you're in a position to an answer this. You've been working on land trust for so long, but could you say a little more about um, the kind of support? This is a, sort of a countywide uh, umbrella effort, correct, that will support existing as well as uh, you know, other acquisition of land. Right? It is. Um, thanks for the question. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you all. Um, you know, a countywide land trust has been something that we've been thinking about for a long time. And we already have some, I believe we have up to five existing land trusts throughout the county. One of the challenges to implementing um, those land trusts independently is capacity. It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money, it takes a lot of resources. And they are always looking for the county to provide support. This is one strategy to create a countywide land trust 
for everybody in the county at all income levels, not just for one particular community. And it allows us to do some creative strategies around the kind of housing that we're providing, the different kind of housings that would be in different communities, again, because we're not limiting it to just one thing. I think the challenge in all of this, as I think the grant points out, is how do we all do this together? And this is what part of the work is that we're asking for, for funding, right? Creating that real capacity for the, the countywide um, land trust and residents who have not particularly been participating at this level to actually create something that feeds and is responsive to the needs of everyone's communities. And it's a really nice opportunity, in my opinion, of course, to actually create a pathway to home ownership. And that's one of the real goals of a county-wide uh, land trust, not only to preserve existing housing, to create affordable housing, but to also create a pathway, particularly for people who have been denied these opportunities in the past, to actually have some stake and some ownership long-term for permanent, affordable, sustainable housing. Thank you for that. And could you also say a little more? I think West Marin has done some groundbreaking work in creating land trusts in their own communities. And this one, now, would this allow acquisition of properties throughout the county? Is that how it would work? It would, including West Marin. And of course, we've been partnering with West Marin as part of this, this grant process and also ongoingly. They've been a huge uh, technical assistance partner in creating kind of how to do land trusts here in Marin County, and they would be very much a part of it. But again, taking their work and being able to really push it out in a different way across the whole county, not just the unincorporated parts, right? It would be the whole countywide to take advantage of the opportunities of available land, of all of the housing elements that actually have identified in some of them, community land trusts is part of their work. We've gotten some real positive feedback from our jurisdictions to say, hey, we want to hear more about this. How could we implement this? And again, having the expertise of West Marin, who's already done it, done it successfully, but to also be able to support that effort and expand it is, is part of the strategy. That's great. Yes. Follow-up question. Um, if you're not successful with the grant, would you use the million dollars to go forward with the program, or what would you do as next step? We are exploring some other opportunities for this same kind of technical support. We were in the running for another grant through Grounded Solutions Network, which is a nationwide um, land trust technical provider. We were not awarded that, but they have said that there may be another opportunity, so we're also looking at that, to, so other opportunities to support the same activities. Uh, I would note that a, a couple of things, like thank you, Liz, for pointing it out, that this is a countywide. You know, as you know, um, we staff the countywide priority setting committee for our federal grants for home and community development block grant funds, and so this would be, it's a HUD program, so it would be, mimicking that will bring it to the priority setting committee that's made up of um, elected officials from every city and town as well as a, a board member and members of the protected classes so they'll be considering this also just as an informational item and then if funded we would be serving cities and towns as well as the unincorporated through this organization many of the cities and towns have similar activities in their housing element that would mirror this, so it would be supporting this countywide efforts that we have around establishing land trust, affirmatively furthering fair housing, and so this uh, would also be supporting many of our cities and towns in their work. Um, 
Yeah, I think this is really, really, really interesting and needed, but just to clarify for me, because I am envisioning this is the establishment of almost an umbrella organization. So we already have, we have Bolinas Community Land Trust, we have San Geronimo Community Land Trust. Um, it, it, and it's not that it subsumes those and or limits the development of um, local more um, different land trusts similar to a Bolinas Community Land Trust or San Geronimo, which are different also. Mm -hmm in other parts of the county. So it doesn't remove the ability for there to be a very organic local community land trust um, defining itself <coughs> and, it, and its purpose and its target uh, population in its own way. Um, but it would, it would be able to take advantage of the administrative, potentially organizational um, assets and resources of a larger countywide land trust. So, it doesn't preclude organic development. It's trying to provide that support so that many different colors of land trust or whatever colors of land trust um, could emerge because it really is that, I mean, Bolinas Community Land Trust has been around for a while, worked very, very hard, has really built up a nice portfolio, but it's taken a lot of time and effort. So this, this will help really sort of reinforce and give support to um, Getting getting other land trusts, more localized land trusts, potentially started, and or something even of grander vision. Yes, absolutely. So, looking at the Bolinas Community Land Trust, for example, I was there last weekend for a dedication ceremony for two home ownership um, units that they have done through a collaboration with Habitat, and you know, the Bolinas Community Land Pr Trust brought the local community aspect of it. They brought some local funding to the project, but then they needed some expertise, and so they needed to partner with somebody, and so that's what we're there hoping, that this could also support activities like that. Habitat um, is also interested in doing projects like this where they, they provide their expertise and support. So I think that, um, and there's a, next week I believe there's a, um, a convening of the, it's this week, oh, this week, there's a convening of the California um, Land Trust Network, and so, and they'll be presenting this kind of opportunity for collaboration. We've also looked at other examples around the country where there's this kind of larger land trust that, that coordinates, provides expertise to the other smaller land trusts, and they can really be those, you know, have that very local community connection, but then they're able to take advantage of a larger network and coordination and the resources that are provided by, by a larger countywide um, land trust. Uh, just a last question uh, for Liz or you, Lily, and that is um, there, there are land trusts all over the country and there's land trusts in the Bay Area and I'm thinking of Oakland and uh, San Francisco have them too. And I wanted you to remind me, it seems to me those land trusts have acquired both single-family homes and small apartments and, you know, so they, they do a variety. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, the whole landscape of land trusts has really changed in the last decade, I would say, because land trusts used to be, you know, a, a pathway just to home ownership. Uh, because of the high cost of housing here in the Bay Area, land trusts now also include rental. 
right? So rental in perpetuity that you can pass on can be generational, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of different models. It's not just single family homes. It's not, as, as Lily pointed out, and part of the thing that we're doing in this grant is identifying missing middle housing, which is really critical. Again, another trend, another real opportunity that people are looking at to identify smaller, more affordable housing opportunities for people to rent and not rent. I will be at that conference uh, starting tomorrow, uh, starting on Thursday. And one of the other things that we're finding, and we've learned this from Grounded Solution as well, is that localized city ordinances and land trusts are beginning to look at more regional and more county-wide approaches. So what we're doing, I don't want to say we're in cutting, cutting edge on any of this work, but this is what that we're seeing as being the movement towards, again, because of the capacity, the ability to really uh, do some real nice affirmatively furthering fair housing. You know I had to throw that term in here at some point. And to ensure that we're doing affirmative marketing across the county so that everyone has opportunities for this. But yeah, there's going to be, there's been a real change in sort of what um, CLTs look like, what they hold, how they hold it, who's on boards these days. So we have the opportunity with this grant to do something really creative and that would fit uh, Marin County and the existing uh, CLTs that we already have. Thank you. Yes, Eric. Yeah, I just have one uh, comment that, uh, or question that came up um, with this work with this grant. Um, could we potentially use this to um, look at COPA, TOPA ordinances, how that all ties in? I know it's in our housing element. I don't know where it is on this on the spectrum, but I assume with everything that's happening with FAFA and with this, that that's something we might want to move up in the order of events. Yes, absolutely. Thanks Thank for you. the question. Yes, thanks for that question. <laughs> it is one of the activities that we're proposing to support through this. And that the that is where it's uh, tenant or community opportunities to purchase existing properties when they come up for sale so that they that housing can be moved into the permanently affordable and prevent displacement. So yes, that's one of the activities that we think would be perfect for it. Also, thank you for bringing up the Bay Area Housing Finance Authority, um, which if that bond passed, there's a set aside of funds that are intended to serve just this kind of small community-based organization. And so one of the things that we think is that if this was established and the funds that we have here would really build the capacity so that if the, the BAFA funds came through, then it could, they would, could be queued up already and they would already have some successes under their belt and be positioned well to take advantage of those funds. Great, good questions. I'm gonna open now to public comment on this item. I see people online. Is there anyone in the chambers? Hey, okay. aha, I see one coming to the podium. Welcome. Supervisors, good morning. I rise today as a resident of the county and a member of the subcommittee that's on the REAP uh, action plan. And Lily is on that committee with me. The, the subgroup is housing. And I have been in support of establishing a countywide um, land trust for, I think, going on now four years. And I really support the recommendation. Um, and Liz has, been my Liz has been my mentor about what land trusts are all about and so forth. And I just wanted to speak from, from the REAP group uh, to say, yes, this is another feel good. Thank Wonderful. you so much. And would you give us your name so we can thank you too? 
I was holding back my name because there's a person in the chambers who may want to then address me. You get my drift? I do. Thank I do. you. Thank you for You your all comment. know who I am. So Thank you. We'll go online now. We have four comments online. The first speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. Once again, and uh, Lily is referring to protected classes. This implies that there are unprotected classes. It also implies there are persecutor classes. And I would like to ask, and I think it begs the question, who decides who belongs to which one of these classes? And what are the criterias between allocating people to this notion of different classes, those being protected and those being unprotected and those being the persecutors. Um, there's a danger here in moving from our paradigm of equality before the law in this recent descent into the idea of equity, which um, has its origins in neo-Marxist ideation and political philosophy, which is counter to the principles that um, have made this nation exceptional in terms of opportunity, prosperity. And actually, I think if you look deeply around the world in terms of its ability to provide justice for all, and so I would guard against this notion of promoting the idea that there are, quote, protected classes. Uh, this is antithetical, I think, to Americanism. Thank you. The next speaker is Ed Rusky. Please unmute. Hello again. Ed Rusky for Bill Valley. Um, this seems like a very exciting uh, opportunity and uh, from what I hear, and all I know is what I've heard just now, is I support this project. I wanted to uh, mention a couple of things. First is um, I'm delighted that this is targeting smaller projects. Uh, I'm, uh, I've encountered a couple of uh, projects uh, that are attempting to provide equity uh, and uh, fair housing and opportunities to people. and. I've come across people over and over saying, we don't object to this project, but it's just too darn big for where you're putting it. And I've tried to get people to focus on the idea of, well, then let's try and target smaller projects that, could, that do pencil out. And that's what I've said, heard about big projects, that if you don't make them big, they don't pencil out. And that's a problem. I think that also supports uh, I think there are studies that show that uh, lower income people uh, who are gathered together in a large project uh, uh, are, are sequestered. And uh, having them mixed in smaller projects within a, a community so that lower, middle, and higher income people are growing up together is a very positive thing for everybody. Um, I do have, I, everybody has mentioned fair housing and equitable application. I do have one question, uh, and that is, how is low income and affordable housing defined? 
as we've seen in this disaster in Marin City, uh, one of the problems is that uh, they can't afford to get into the project because Marin County is, uh, or they're using the uh, mean income of Marin County and that kicks them out of the project because they can't afford even that. Thank you. The next speaker is Rebecca Hilsel, please unmute. Hi, good morning. Rebecca Hausel, Vice Chair of Mount Tam Community Land Trust. Our board consists of both Marin City and Mill Valley residents, which is our initial focus. You know, our service uh, more broadly covers the area surrounding Mount Tam. That's the name. Uh, we are voting members of the California CLT Network. Look forward to seeing you, Liz, on Thursday and Friday. Um, 10 days ago, SB 55 was signed, 555 was signed into law. Uh, it enshrines CLTs in the definition of social housing, which supports and reaches lower income residents. Um, also signed into law were some helpful um, inclusion of CLTs, which are around ADU units and foreclosure purchases. And these are gonna be powerful tools for us. Um, we are the newest CLT. Um, only a few years old. Um, I was brought in um, this year to, well, Bill, I've run, I uh, both founded and run a su successful CLT that has almost 200 units now in another state. We've done a lot of creative things. So um, I'm hoping that, uh, that both our organization and uh, Hope Housing will be included in the housing group discussions uh, regard, regarding the county CLT plans. Um, we're gonna continue to uh, try to identify land in Marin City, which can be controlled by the residents. As Supervisor Moulton Peters is aware, um, we hope that Mount Tam CLT uh, will be at the table. And I look forward to meeting you next week, Rudy. Thank you. The next speaker is Aaron Burnett, who is on mute. Uh, good morning. Thank you for having me. My name is Aaron Burnett with Canal Alliance. Uh, I just want to start by saying I'm very happy um, that the county was able to adopt and uh, have the housing element certified, uh, a housing element that included strong, a strong commitment to affirmatively furthering fair housing. And I'm furthermore encouraged that the county is now actively pursuing implementation of that housing element, uh, beginning with this grant application, among other things, solving for Marin. Uh, Marin's housing crisis is going to require multiple policies, programs, and tools. And the adoption of policies like COPA-TOPA and the creation of CLTs and shared equity home ownership programs are a huge step in ensuring that we begin to address housing inequity in this county. So I, I just want to say I, I really appreciate the Lily and her team uh, applying for this type of grant, and, and I hope that the board will approve this and future grant opportunities. Thank you. The next speaker is Lucy Hollingsworth. Please unmute. Good morning. This is Lucy Hollingsworth with Legal Aid of Marin. Uh, we are extremely encouraged of the potential to meaningfully reduce the biggest barriers to address Marin's housing crisis, uh, which is county and sector-wide collaboration and funding. This is critical to end the displacement of Marin's low-income community who are having to leave the county 
for adding to our unhoused population. Thank you to Lili and Liz for looking to creative solutions and we look forward to supporting the county's ambitious housing element, which looks to repair past policies and focus on equity. Thank you very much. President Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, there's one more speaker in the chambers and the topic is uh, the grant application. Um, I would like to address how you accept comments from people to whom you've appointed to commissions. And I think this is very obvious. We just, we just talked about how people on your commissions did not support uh, people in their fight for, you know, for rights at GGV. They did not come and speak against 825 Drake. Now, your first public comment was someone who's on, I think, at least one county commission. I, I think she may be on two county commissions. I've sat through many meetings where she's made pro-police statements, even after the beating of Mateo. I will finish this comment, Stephanie. And um, it is very obvious, this is, this is a pattern. The, the fact that she feels that she is privileged to both serve on these multiple commissions and yet remain unnamed um, above criticism somehow is totally unacceptable. It comes back to the lack of disclosure about conflicts of interest. If we don't know the names of the people who are coming here and praising Liz Darby, who by the way, is not well liked in Marin City. I regret having to say that, but it is clear that you are stocking county commissions with people who are in line with county interests. I'm glad you find this funny, Ms. Darby. And it is unacceptable. We need, you know, the, the fact that you can both serve on this and think that you are above reproach or above investigation of conflicts of interest. That last document that I got via CPRA from the county is deeply concerning about Heidi Merchant. And if I had not pushed for this information, the rest of the public would not know it. And in fact, it's still being suppressed. I can't get this into the Pacific Sun. I can't get it into the Marin IJ. And in fact, just trying to make a comment on those pages, they cut me right out. The most civil comments. We're at time, thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna close the public hearing and bring this back to the board. The motion before us is to adopt a resolution authorizing CDA to apply for and accept pathways to removing obstacles grant funding. Option of the resolution. Second. Okay, uh, we'll do this and then we'll do this. There's also adopt a resolution approving allocation of Marin County restricted affordable housing funds. Would the maker of the motion add that to the motion? Yes. Okay, and the second. Okay, we have a motion, second, a second by Rice. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Go forward. Okay, item number nine, this is the request from the county administrator regarding a potential purchase of the former San Geronimo Valley golf course property and the development of the new fire station. Good morning, supervisors. I'll provide a high level overview and David Spear, our facilities manager, is available to answer any specific questions you may have. Uh, staff has worked with the subcommittee of Supervisor Radoni and Supervisor Wright to recommend this first 90-day extension of our option agreement with the Trust for Public Lands. Um, as you know, your board uh, entered into the option agreement last December, and so this is really in line and anticipated. 
Uh, we are in the middle of environmental review and due diligence. I will point out on our consent calendar B, uh, your board approved uh, one of our due diligence contracts around um, finishing up our due diligence on this uh, review. Um, the option agreement is for $30,000. Uh, the payment would be credited to the purchase if the county uh, exercises the option to go forward. Uh, and so we are recommending um, this first extension of the option agreement for 90 days uh, and happy to answer any more specific questions you may have. Okay, we'll go to uh, any public comment. I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers and I'm not seeing anyone online. We'll bring it back to the board. We need a motion. Um, I'd like to make the motion to extend this purchase agreement. Second. Okay, motion Rodoni, second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. That's approved. We will recess now as the Marin County Board of Supervisors, and in three minutes we will convene as the Marin County Flood Control and Water Conservation District. Okay, I'm going to get us going. Okay, uh, good afternoon. Uh, we have just returned from closed session as the Board of Supervisors at its September 26, 2023 meeting. The Board of Supervisors authorized the county to file suit against James and Susan Tuchera to enforce code enforcement violations in the Bolinas area. The suit was filed yesterday, making this authorization finally final. There is nothing else to report from this closed session. And with that, uh, we'll uh, now convene as the Marin County Housing Authority Board of Commissioners.